Good evening, all. It is good to see you. Let's go ahead and get started. Man, I scared everybody away from this morning. I'm glad y'all are here. We're going to have a good time. Here's the thing. You guys are going to know stuff about the Bible that, uh, that the rest of the church doesn't. So when you see the other people, just tell them you're better than them. I think that that'll really help our church unity. Man, it's good to see everybody here. Let's have a word of prayer and we'll get started. Lord, you're so good to us. Thank you for all that you do. And Father, this important study that we're going to do tonight, I'm very thankful that we get to do it. Thank you for Dalton for putting this together and uh, the way you have led him. Lord, we're just very thankful. In Jesus' name, amen. This, when I told uh, Dalton Robertson what I was doing on Kingdom of Heaven, Kingdom of God, I asked him what material he had, and I knew that he had done, he had taught the book of Matthew in a Bible institute. So he had done an extensive study on the book of Matthew. So he sent me this introduction, and I thought this was so helpful that I thought we would go through it. Now, you'll recognize some things that I have already pulled out of this for the other handouts that we have done, but this is really going to help you to understand your Bible. So let's just start right at the top, the introduction to Matthew. Matthew is the book of the king. So remember that Matthew presents Jesus as the king of the Jews. Luke presents Christ as the perfect man. Mark presents him as the suffering servant. And John presents him as the son of God. So Matthew really is the book of the king. And that's what Clarence Larkin wrote. It is the genesis of the New Testament. That's a good way to look at it, isn't it? It is the beginning of the group of books that we call the New Testament. The portico allowing passage from the Old Testament into the New. It is the hinge upon which the door of the New Testament swings. The st- now, what's so fun, we talk about the book of Acts being a transition from the Gospels to the church epistles, but the, the book of Matthew really is the transition from the Old Testament to the New because you have the crucifixion of Christ and at the end of the book, and that's where the New Testament begins. All right, then... It is the story of Israel's rejection of their promised Messiah and the postponement of their earthly kingdom. And we looked at that this morning. It is the gospel specifically for the Jew with information that only those familiar with the Jewish customs and religious traditions, as well as the law and its demands, would understand. So, number one, Matthew links the 39 Jewish books of the Old Testament with those of the new which deal primarily with the historical establishment of and specific directions for the Gentile church. All right, so the book of Acts is where we get that. So it joins the 39 books of the Old Testament with the instruction we'll get for the church. Therefore, that Matthew would provide an historical theological link and transition between the two is only logical. And I will say that this is something that is, it's, it's missed in our uh, general Christian understanding. So some basic information, letter A. Matthew has 28 chapters, so that equals 4. That's the number of the earth or the world times 7, the number of perfection or completion. Thus, the perfect earthly kingdom is in view. That's kind of fun, isn't it? Number 4 is the number of the earth, number 7, number of perfection. 7 times 4, 28, and that gives us the number of chapters in the book. Now, just so you know, I, I do believe that the numbers in the Bible give us some interesting insights into what God is doing. The number seven, the number 40, um, the number 12, 
all of those things. They're, they're, those are obviously, number three, those are obviously significant numbers in the scriptures. But there's much more than that. The, the number of man, the, the, the number of the beast. The, these different numbers that are identified in scripture are important. Now, when we attach those numbers to the chapter and verse divisions, well, now we're past the area of doctrine, right? We're not going to build any doctrine on anything like that. Amen? And yet, it's very interesting how often it works out that, like, the number 13 is the number of rebellion, and when you get to the book of Genesis, the first time you have a 13, it's talking about the men of Sodom were, were, exceeding, were wicked exceedingly. That's... And that's the greatest rebellion that there is. So there is, I believe, there's something special or interesting about what has happened in those. But that's that's all that we can say. Are you with me on that? Don't ever leave Grace Baptist Church thinking we're building doctrines on numbers. Unless it's the book of numbers in the Bible. Okay. Are you all with me on that? Okay. Letter B. While Bible numerics alone are not enough for establishing doctrine, they do serve to underscore and validate. They corroborate doctrine. That's a great way to say it. So consider the close of the Old Testament. Look at Malachi. Somebody told me that I called Zechariah the last book in the Old Testament a couple of weeks ago. I was mistaken. Look at Malachi, which is the last book of the Old Testament. All right, Malachi chapter 4, and we're going to read verses 4 through 6. Remember ye the law of Moses, my servant, which I commanded unto him in Horeb, for all Israel with statutes and judgments. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children and the heart of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. It is amazing that the New Testament ends with, even so come quickly, Lord Jesus. And the Old Testament ends with a curse. And the Bible says that when Jesus comes, it's in those days. Man, that's a fantastic picture of what the world is. So look at what this says. Letter A, Malachi closes with a curse. So remember Galatians 3.10, Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, things like that. Then letter B, the message includes a prophecy concerning Elijah, who will come before uh, the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. So look at Revelation chapter 11. I could have referenced this this morning, but it was long enough already, amen? Revelation chapter 11. All right, look at verse 4. These are the two olive trees the two, and the two candlesticks standing before the God of the earth. So we have these two witnesses that come up. Verse 6, these have power to shut heaven that it rain not in the days of their prophecy and have power over waters to turn them to blood and to smite the earth with all plagues as often as they will. So this, these are the exact things that Moses and Elijah did when they were here on earth. That's why we believe that these two witnesses are Moses and Elijah, because the Bible says that God is going to send Elijah. If the people had believed, as we saw this morning, then John the Baptist would have been that Elijah, because they didn't believe, well, it's going to be Elijah. And don't forget that on the Mount of Transfiguration, who was Jesus Christ talking to on the Mount of Transfiguration? Moses and Elijah. So 
this sending Elijah before the Lord, that's what Malachi is talking about. Let's go back to Malachi. In that day, look at your handout, letter C, in that day the nation of Israel will be turned back to God and Israel will be restored in a day. And that is what happens in verse 6 of Malachi chapter 4. Then, letter D, notice what is said in Matthew 11. All right, so this is what I was referencing this morning. We're done in Malachi. Go to Matthew chapter 11. And what happened this morning, I wanted to go here, but I couldn't remember the reference off the top of my head, and I didn't want to stop and think about it. So here it is, Matthew chapter 11, and look at verse 11. Verily I say unto you, what does verily mean? Truly. Verily I say unto you, among them that are born of women, there hath not risen a greater than John the Baptist. Notwithstanding, aren't you glad he's not John the Catholic? There hath not risen a greater than John the Baptist, notwithstanding, isn't it funny when you see a John the Baptist Catholic church? I mean, have you ever seen one of those? I always thought that was kind of funny. Um, there hath not risen a greater than John the Baptist, notwithstanding, he that is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. <clears throat> and from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffereth violence, and the violent take it by force. And that is what the, the amillennialists and the postmillennialists and the Roman Catholics and all the people that don't understand the kingdom of heaven, they want to take it by force. We're going to conquer the world. All right? Look at verse 13. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John, he was the last of the prophets, and if ye will receive it, this is Elias, which was for to come. So Jesus is telling them, God, God promised that there was going to be. The Bible promises there would be a forerunner. If you'll believe, if you'll receive the kingdom, he will be that. But they didn't receive it. They rejected it. All right, number three on your handout. This proves that the book of Matthew is the story of the arrival of Israel's promised king, the offered kingdom, the corresponding rejection of both, and the Lord's gradual return, I'm sorry, gradual turn toward the Gentiles. This is a really fun thing to notice. So go to Matthew chapter 12. You ought to be very close to it. All right, so remember this morning, what was it? What's the event that happened in the book of Matthew that made a change in the way Jesus taught? What, what's the event? We, we call it something. What is it? Blasphemy of the Holy Ghost. All right, Jesus Christ teaching on the blasphemy of the Holy Ghost. Israel, the leaders of Israel committed the blasphemy of the Holy Ghost. And from that point on, Jesus never spoke to them clearly. But notice what happens here. <clears throat> Look at verse uh, 21. And in his name, so this is talking about the Messiah, and in his name shall the Gentiles trust. You understand that most, most of the believers in the world are Gentiles. The, the vast majority are Gentiles. 
And that's information that's introduced in the book written to the Jews. And when I was in Israel, um, I walked by a young Orthodox Jewish man. And as he walked by us, he did this. Because he, he won't look at Gentiles. Boy, that's a great way to be an evangelist, isn't it? How many of you think they're going to win people to Judaism that way? Isn't that interesting? That, that bigotry that rises up. But you have the exact same thing from the Lutherans in Germany or from the Catholics in Germany that would do the Passion Plays, and after the Passion Play, they'd go and find some Jews to kill. You understand both of those are wrong, right? All right, so look at what it says in uh, number four there on your handout. So this is Gabeline. That's Arno Gabeline. Arno Gabeline was a Jewish man, got saved, and he wrote some amazing commentaries. Some of the my some of the, the just the special understanding that um, that my friends and I have in the way that we teach about the kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God, different things in the scriptures dispensationally. Arno Gabeline is one of the, the guys that really made that clear for everyone. Now his son Frank Gabeline. He put out a set of commentaries that would be just general evangelical stuff. It wouldn't be nearly as profound as what his father did. So when you see that Gabeline, be careful. It's Arno is the one that we would read after. <clears throat> Gabeline said, because it is Jewish, talking about Matthew, it is dispensational throughout. Because it is Jewish, it is dispensational throughout. So what do we mean by dispensational? Well, just whose mail are you reading? That's, that's what it comes down to. You need to understand the context of what you're reading. All right, number five. To understand that Matthew is yet Old Testament in its content and interpretation, one must understand what the New Testament is and when it started. All right? So this is a, this is a really good study for us to do. So the Old Testament, go to Exodus chapter 24. And look at verse 7. And he took the book of the covenant and read it in the audience of the people. And they said, all that the Lord hath said will we do and be obedient. And Moses took the blood and sprinkled it on the people and said, behold, the blood of the covenant, which the Lord hath made with you concerning all these words. Um, those of you who grew up in, the, in a Roman Catholic church, when the the incense or the the oh can't remember where the word of the thing is where they they spread it on the crowd that that's where this kind of custom comes from it's from the Jewish law it has nothing to do with the New Testament church but on that verse seven I hope you'll mark verse seven in your Bible and never forget this all right. What I'm about to say right here, you, most of you will already know because we've said it before. But please don't miss the significance of it. All right, look at verse 7 again. 
And he took the book of the covenant and read it in the audience of the people. And they said, all that the Lord has said will we do and be obedient. What should they have said there? God have mercy. We can't do this. We, we, this, this is too much. We can't do this. They should have begged for mercy. But this is why before Israel can come to God, if my people which are called by my name shall humble themselves, the meek shall inherit the earth. They're so full of themselves. They have to give up that pride in order to be able to come to God. It's just vital, but that's the law. It, it required daily priestly ministry. So go to Hebrews chapter 7. So talking about Christ in verse 26... For such an high priest became us. How about that? Jesus, he became one of us. He became us. He became human. For such an high priest became us who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and made higher than the heavens, who needeth not daily as those high priests to offer up sacrifice first for his own sins and then for the people's. For this he did once when he offered up himself. Isn't that a blessing? Man, what an amazing passage of Scripture. And so, back at your handout, the Old Testament required daily priestly ministry because the blood of bulls and goats will not take away sin. Look at Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 13. For if the blood of bulls and of goats and the ashes of an heifer, sprinkling the unclean, sanctifieth to the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit, that's, that's the Holy Spirit, right, offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. For this cause, he is the mediator of the New Testament, that by means of death, for the redemption of the transgressions that were under the first testament, they which are called might receive the promise of eternal inheritance. For where a testament is, there must also of necessity be the death of the testator. Now, how many of you have a will? You have written a will. Hold up your hands. All right, you kids, look. If they don't have a will yet, don't kill them yet. Okay? And, and so if you have a will, you know, kids, here's something really important that you know. They can still change it. Because if a testament is not a force while you're alive, it's put in force after you're dead. Your will doesn't really mean anything. Okay? So, let's keep going. Verse 17, for a testament is a force after men are dead, otherwise it is of no strength at all while the testator liveth. Whereupon neither the first testament was dedicated without blood. So, you understand the First Testament? We saw the, the blood that was sprinkled on the people, right? We saw that in uh, Exodus chapter 24. For when Moses had spoken every precept unto all the people according to the law, 
He took the blood of calves and of goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book and all the people, saying, This is the blood of the testament which God hath enjoined unto you. Moreover, he sprinkled with blood both the tabernacle and all the vessels of the ministry. And almost all things are by the law purged with blood, and without shedding of blood is no remission. It was therefore necessary that the patterns of things in the heavens should be purified with these, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ is not entered into the holy places made with hands, which are figures of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. So when the high priest went into the temple, that was just a picture of what Jesus would do when he actually took his blood into the very presence of God. Is that, isn't that what the Bible is saying? All right, so this is better. Verse, so he did it for us at the end of verse 24, verse 25, nor yet that he should offer himself often as the high priest entereth into the holy place every year with the blood of others. For then must he often have suffered since the foundation of the world. But now once in the end of the world hath he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment, so Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many, and unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. Isn't it good that when he comes back he's still sinless? What a, isn't that an amazing doctrinal passage of Scripture? So this is the New Testament. Jesus Christ paid for our sin. So this whole idea of a bloodless sacrifice in the Mass or in the Eucharist, that is, a, that is an absolute and clear violation of Scripture. Can I get an amen there? All right, let's look at our handout. Letter B. The New Testament, that's what we just saw in Hebrews 9.26, which involves the blood of Jesus Christ himself, removes sin, takes it away. So look, go back with me to John chapter 1 and verse 29. Lots of Christian songs talk about, you know, the blood of Jesus covering our sin. There's a song by a guy named Steve Camp that I enjoyed. He covers me. Um, Well, it's not really doctrinally correct. So John chapter 1 and verse 29 The next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him and saith, Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. He doesn't have to cover anything. He washes it away. See, because if something is covered, that can be uncovered. And in the sacrificial system, it had to be covered and then 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 covered. It was never enough until Jesus Christ's blood cleansed it, washed it away. Isn't that a blessing? That's the difference between the Old Testament, one of the many differences between the Old Testament and the New Testament. All right, letter I there under B. New Testament, a solemn, authentic instrument in writing by which a person declares his will. All right. How's our will, Laura? Do we have is our will all good? We good to go? We need to update it. Good. Jacob, you're out. So this New Testament was, I was thinking about it the other day. We did it. They were babies. Now they got their own money. All right. This testament was first introduced in Matthew 26, 28. How many of you, when you're, when you're teaching or, or doing work, your mind goes to other things? Does that happen to you guys too? 
I just usually rein it in. I don't tell you what I'm actually thinking while all of this is going. You think I do. <laughs> I really don't. All right, so the New Testament was first introduced in Matthew 26, 28. Can we go there and look at it? Matthew 26. And verse 28. So this is the Last Supper. Why don't we look at verse 26. And as they were eating, Jesus took bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, Drink ye all of it. For Now, now just, just stop for a second. Did they take a bite out of his hand or did they eat the bread? Were they actually eating his body? It's not a trick question. No, no. All right. So verse 26, and he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them saying, drink ye all of it. Verse 28, for this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. There you go. That's the New Testament. The shedding of the blood of Jesus Christ is the New Testament. How many of you trust that what Jesus said was true, right? I don't care what somebody's theological system says. I'm going to go with what Jesus said. All right, so let her see again. This New Testament was first introduced in Matthew 26, 28, and could not possibly come into effect until the work of the cross was completed. Blood which is shed, Hebrews 9, 16, the death of the testator. So another commentator, William Pettingill, said, Matthew is preeminently the gospel of the kingdom. We shall expect to see Jesus throughout this gospel as the king of Israel promised by the prophets. The book is Jewish throughout and is incomprehensible unless this point is carefully noted. To understand the book, we must understand all the time that Jesus is here presented, not primarily as savior, but as king. Y'all get that? It's so important that we get that. You will search in vain in Matthew for a statement of the gospel of the grace of God. Did you hear what I just read? You will search in vain in Matthew for a statement of the gospel of the grace of God. John will tell you about that, but Matthew's work is to tell the gospel of the kingdom of heaven. Never elsewhere than in Matthew is the phrase the kingdom of heaven found anywhere in the Bible. It occurs 32 times in Matthew. The church is mentioned, but only by anticipation as a future thing. It is properly found here, however, for Matthew is the dispensational gospel, setting forth the distinction between the Jews, the Gentiles, and the church of God. Isn't that a helpful statement that really helps us to understand what Matthew is? All right, we're going to stop there for this evening. Because I can see... that some of you have reached your limit. It's really helpful for us to understand these things. And it's not always, oh, fun for everyone to learn these details. But didn't Dalton do a good job writing this? This is such a really helpful thing. So bring this back with you next Sunday night. All right, bring this back with you next Sunday night. We're going to continue in it. And if you read ahead, that's just fine. It'll help us as we as we move on ahead. Let's have some ushers come forward. I do want to say, if you're not born again, get saved. 
We try to never have a service at Grace Baptist Church where we don't offer Christ to people. So Jesus Christ came into the world. We just saw that he said, this cup is my blood which is shed for you. This is the New Testament. Jesus Christ died on the cross for you. Let's make sure that all of us are born again. We've placed our faith and trust in Christ alone for our salvation. Amen. One time I didn't do that, Jet, and your dad came up to me after church years ago and got on to me for not giving the gospel. So y'all can thank Jeff Blackford that I try to never forget the gospel. All right.